0: Michael, uh, one of the pastors here on staff, if you are new with us, welcome, we're glad you're at Veritas, we would love to get to know you and help you get connected here, um, obviously our, our church is, by God's grace, has grown a lot and it's maybe hard for some people to get connected, so we'd love to be able to help you do that, so I'll be down front afterwards if you want to pray, uh, you can also go to Info Central, we'll help you do that as well. Um, so if you are new with us, you're jumping into the second week of a series, just a three-week series. Titled Our mission, all right? So not some great creative name there. We are just trying to reinforce and clarify what we're about as a church. So last week, Ian was up here and he talked about raising up mature disciples. So our mission is to raise up mature disciples, send out what? Everyday Everyday missionaries. Good job. And to Glorify. glorify God. So raise up everyday missionary or raise up mature disciples, send out everyday missionaries and glorify God. So Ian talked last week about what we mean By raising up mature disciples, pointing other people to God's word, getting into God's word to help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and our love for Jesus. That we would love Jesus more, that we would obey Jesus more, that we would know more about Jesus. And as we do that, we will become more discerning, mature people that aren't just tossed about by every wind and wave of cunning doctrine or... Um, just what the world says, we're going to be steady, mature people. And that's what we want to do here at Veritas. We want to help you grow into a mature Christian, all right? Not only do we want to do that, we want to send you out as everyday missionaries. Now, when you think of the word missionaries, a lot of you probably have a lot of thoughts that come to your mind. Some of you are like, oh, this is what we're talking about. This is probably not for me. Hang on just a second, all right? So when we talk about everyday missionaries, we're talking about everyday common people all of us in this room whether you're a teacher going back starting school this week right you're an everyday missionary whether you're a stay-at-home mom or an IT guy or a plumber or wherever you're at whatever you're doing we want you to be intentional wherever God has you but be willing to go wherever God leads you and The problem is that when we think of missionaries, we think of this like elite special forces group of Christians, right? Oh, those are the people that go to the like the jungles of these unreached people groups of these cannibals and they share the gospel there, right? Or you're like, no, that's the special forces Christians. They do the foster care and adoption stuff, right? But what we're saying is, no, no, no. Like, let's take, and take that narrow-focused view of what you think of a missionary, and we want to expand that as a church to fit every single one of you in this room. Now, I'm not discounting the person that needs that goes to the unreached people group. Like, we want to go to unreached people groups as a church, not because, oh, look what Veritas did. We want to go to unreached people groups because Jesus deserves to be worshipped everywhere. And he's not being worshipped everywhere. So that's why we want to send people as a church. But we don't only want to send people to do foster and adoptive care and to remote unreached people groups. We want to send people into this city, into schools, into neighborhoods, into workplaces, because Jesus is worth being worshipped everywhere. And so when we talk about everyday missionaries, that's what we mean. Now, the problem is, I ran across a statistic uh, this past week or was reminded of a statistic that said around 90% of Christians have never shared their faith with anyone outside their family. Around 90%. We're saying, hey, we want everybody to be an everyday missionary Yet, maybe there's about 10% of us that are actually sharing our faith. So where's the disconnect? Like, how do you go about this life and be a person that wants to proclaim Jesus to the world? Like, what is the approach that we should have that maybe makes it easier Now, I'm not talking about a strategy this morning that's going to help you give you like the ABCs of Christianity that you go to somebody and you're like, hey, let me tell you this, 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 this about Jesus. All right. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a strategy this morning. I want you to think about a new approach to life, an approach that New Testament Christians had. They approached life in a way where it wasn't just like, okay, we've got to do this. But they loved it and they wanted to talk about Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to do that in Acts chapter 4. So if you got a Bible on your phone, if not, verses will be on screen. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Let me catch you up since we're not going through the whole book. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is, uh, right before this, Jesus has um, lived his life on this earth. He's died. He's been crucified. After he's crucified, he's buried. Then he rises from the dead. And he spends many days appearing for before a lot of, Believers, a lot of other people. And as he's appearing, like he's uh, eventually gets to the point where he goes, Hey, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go prepare a place for you as believers. I'm going to come back to get you. But until then, I need you to know that I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And that Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be witnesses. And he says, Disciples, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to be uh, empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Then I want you to go out to the greater region of Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so, what happens is um, there's this incredible time where the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes, and the Apostle Peter begins to preach. This is what you're seeing, guys. This is this is what this is, he's telling everybody. This is what you're seeing preaches this incredible sermon, and 3,000 people believe in one day. Just this amazing work of God. And then he and John, another disciple, they're walking by the temple in chapter 3, and as they walk by the temple, there's this beggar who's been there for many years. It says he's been lame since birth. And they walk by, and he's kind of begging for, everybody that goes by the temple knows this guy. And as he walks, they walk by, he's begging them for something And Peter and John said, hey, look, silver and gold, I don't have. Like, I don't have money to give to you. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And after over 40 years, this guy leaps up, stands up, leaping and jumping, and everybody around is like, holy cow, what just happened? We know this guy, and this is not how he's operated for decades. And now something has changed. It's the power of Jesus And so Peter begins to proclaim, like, let me tell you how this happened. And he proclaims Jesus. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 to start out. And as they, so Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So here's Peter and John. They're proclaiming, let me tell you what happened to this guy that's been healed. And they start teaching about, oh, it's about Jesus. He's the one that rose from the dead, has power to do these kind of things, power to transform lives. And if you're a believer, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. But these religious people are saying, "Um, yeah, not not okay. It says they were greatly annoyed by it. But then there's a different group of people, and that different group of people actually believes, and the number increases from 3,000 to 5,000 people that are following Jesus because they recognize the power of Jesus. But for this group of people, it says there were the priests there. The priests were the kind of Levites, and they had come out of the tribe of Levi and they were there kind of doing their annual service at the temple. So there's all these kind of guys doing their annual service at the temple. Then it says uh, the captain was there. So that's kind of like the the temple police chief. All right. He's there with them. And then it says the Sadducees were there. Now, many of you might've heard of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Uh, The Sadducees, you hear a little bit, but they really came to power in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that 400 years uh, gap that we don't know a lot that happened during that time the Sadducees came to power and they were really controlling they were these wealthy elite people highly sophisticated and this matters because when we get to something in a second wealthy wealthy people and they had great political power they were kind of in power over all the Jews at this time and they didn't want feathers to get ruffled but what's happening right now Major feathers are getting ruffled around the temple because this guy's just been healed. And you're like, what is happening? And then Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus. Not only are they proclaiming Jesus, but they proclaim that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now, here's a key theological point for the Sadducees. They didn't believe the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in supernatural stuff. So not only are they like, wait a second, we don't believe supernatural, and this guy's jumping and we've never seen him walk or jump at all and they're saying it happened because jesus rose from the dead we don't believe that at all so like in their minds are like, what is happening and we're losing control so as we lose control like what are they going to do about it? it says they were greatly annoyed by it so let's look at verses five through seven so they arrested them as they arrested them it said they They put them in jail that night. It was probably too late for a trial to happen, so they kept them overnight, and then this is what happened. Verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? So you've got a picture of this. So Peter and John and probably the beggar are kind of in the middle of of this, of this kind of Israel's supreme court, all right? This is just a picture for you. So they're in the middle of it. All these religious people, highly sophisticated, kind of judgmental people are all standing around. And they're looking at him. And there's this guy named Annas. It says the high priest here. That's kind of honorary title for him because he was an older guy. And Caiaphas was his son-in-law who was the actual high priest at the time. So they're there and they're all this high priestly family, religious family, they're all sitting there. And they're looking, and they got Peter, John, and this guy that's been healed standing in the middle of them. And they make this inquiry. By what power or by what name did you do this? Hey, tell us about this. Now, this is kind of a trap for them because if Peter and John said anything but God, they could be put to death at that time. So what are these guys going to say? Like, this guy's been healed. How? What are they going to say? Are they going to run? Are they going to be paralyzed with fear? What are they going to do? This is what Peter does. Verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to come back to that later, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed so you want to know? I'm about to tell you. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must by which we must be saved. So His response, is it to run in fear? No. He was like super bold, right? Like crazy. Not only are you telling him how this guy was healed in the name of Jesus, but you're saying, hey, and you were the guys that crucified him. You were the guys that rejected him. That is crazy boldness, right? You look at this guy and you're like, out of your mind. You are out of your mind saying that to all these guys who have already arrested you. Why would you do such a thing? Let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth. You know, the guy that you, you all knew, guys. You crucified him. But he rose from the dead. He was the stone that you rejected. You were the builders and you rejected this stone. And not only that, but they make this exclusive claim that there's no way that you can be saved outside of the name of Jesus. There's no way. You can't do it. So they're making incredibly bold claims. And it's coming because they're imp- Peter's been empowered by the Holy Spirit to make these bold, courageous claims. And for an everyday missionary, this is what we proclaim. We boldly proclaim Jesus. We boldly proclaim that Jesus died for sins. He died a death that we deserve to die. We boldly proclaim that He resurrected from the dead. Yes, He died, but three days later He rose, and He can conquer sin. He conquered sin, and He can conquer sin in your life. He defeated sin, Satan, and death, and He can do the same thing in your life. And there's no other way that you can be saved other than Jesus. There's no other way. Can you imagine if you're the religious rulers in that room that day? They're just got to be squirming. Like, <clears throat> do you? Do you hear what's happening right now? Like, I bet their hearts are like pounding out of their chest. Like, oh my goodness, we're the guys that crucified the Messiah. Like, what is, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do. Guys, when when you have the opportunity as an everyday missionary, boldly proclaim Jesus. Boldly proclaim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And you know as well as I do, that is a super unpopular thing. It's unpopular. But we could proclaim a lot of other things. Peter and John could have said, well, I know this guy's healed, but let me tell you the science behind it, why he was healed. Or, well, I know he's healed, and we did a lot. Like, we told, we, we told him to get up and walk. It's us. And churches could get really distracted proclaiming a lot of things other than Jesus But they proclaim Jesus, and it it reminds me of a couple in our church, family in our church, that recently were on vacation a long way from Cedar Rapids this summer, got a call, hey, your house is flooding, a pipe has burst, and the pipe has like burst so hard that the water is coming so hard it's busts a hole through the wall, like through the drywall, it made a mess, like a disaster. So this couple, so far away, they just call their connection group, their small group here at Veritas. The whole connection group comes over and, like, moves furniture. It's just uh, amazing things. So neighbors also come over, and the neighbors um, don't believe in Jesus. They're actually Hindu. And so they come over, and later, once the family gets back and seeing all the work that's been done by this community, they go, Hey, um, why, did, why did those people do that? And this couple could have said, oh, well, they're just great people. Like, we just love our church. But this couple said, oh, it's because, like, Jesus served them. Like, Jesus laid down his life for them, so this is the least that they want to do. Like, they want to help and serve other people. And in that moment, you don't proclaim your connection group, how great it is. You don't proclaim Veritas. They proclaim Jesus. Guys, that's the kind of church we want to be. I don't care if anybody knows who Veritas is. I want everybody to know about Jesus. That's the kind of church because Jesus was the one that resurrected from the dead. We sure didn't. That's the kind of church we want to be that puts Jesus like on display. Why in the world would you be a foster parent? That's hard. Oh, because of what Jesus has done for us. That's why we do that. Why did you lay down your life for your neighbor? You barely even know them. Oh, because Jesus laid down his life for us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That's what we mean by everyday missionaries. So let's see how the people responded. in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So what did they see? They saw boldness. And then they perceived that they were common, uneducated men. Why is that a big deal? Because who was it saying this? The wealthy, sophisticated, religious elite. Saying, look at this riffraff of society. What were Peter and John? Old fishermen that had been transformed by Jesus. Wait, there's two old fishermen that are standing here in the midst of this really sophisticated court and they're proclaiming Jesus boldly and they're actually doing it pretty convincingly? Oh, these are common, uneducated men speaking with boldness. But then they make the most amazing claim that I hope anybody would say about people from our church. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, what do people see in you? Fearful? Uncertainty? Or do they see a common people with uncommon boldness? That's what we want people to see. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Remember Peter and John again. Fishermen. They were fishing. And Jesus comes up and he says, hey, follow me. And they give up their career. They give up their livelihood as fishermen. Not only their livelihood in the present day, but what else did they give up? That was probably the family business. So they gave up their future to follow this guy named Jesus. And they spend the next three years with Jesus. And they see him, like, or they hear him talking about truth over and over and over. They see him... Standing against the religious leaders who only wanted to like, look good on the outside, but Jesus was far more, more concerned with their hearts. They see Jesus, a man that was completely innocent, completely perfect, completely holy and righteous. They see that man get brutally murdered on a cross and not say a word because he had a bigger mission than just what felt good in the moment. They've watched this Jesus guy. He appeared to them after he resurrected. He gave grace to Peter after Peter had denied him. Not once, not twice, not three times. And he said, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. And here Peter is remembering, oh, this is Jesus. This is who I've been around. This is who I've encountered and I've experienced. And now other people are recognizing, yeah, this Peter and John guy, they've been around Jesus. And there's, there's nothing better that the world could say about us, and these people have been with Jesus. Like, it's just bursting forth from them. It's like you have a water balloon, right? Like, you have this water balloon, you fill it up with water, and you squeeze it, and there's pressure, there's like all this pressure there, and eventually that balloon pops, and what comes out of it? The water comes out of it. It's just like us. When we've been spending time with Jesus and we're filled up with Jesus and there's pressure and there's opposition. And my hope is that every single one of us, when squeeze, 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 what would burst out of us? Man, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. But who do people recognize that you've been with? Like we're always proclaiming something with our lives. We're always waving a flag, some flag, saying, this is what my life's about. If I asked people close to you, what would they say you're about? Man, they really love social media. Man, they talk about that a lot. They really love Fox News. They really love CNN. Man, they really love their family. They really love those training, report, training camp reports out of Iowa and Iowa State right now. Is that where you're spending your time? And if you're like squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, like is that what's going to burst out from you? Because when Peter was squeezed, like Jesus just burst out. Or do they go, man, those people, man, they really love their connection group. They really love Veritas. Guys, I hope that's not what people recognize. I hope they recognize that you've been with Jesus. Jesus. There's, when I think of everyday missionaries there's not something better in scripture I think that describes what we're going for we want people to recognize that we've been with Jesus wherever we go wherever you're at wherever God has you and he doesn't have me wherever God has me and he doesn't have you like we want people to recognize that we've been with Jesus cuz we got to pray that as a church God help people to see that I've been with you So some of you are going, well, Jesus isn't here. How do I, like, have a relationship when Jesus isn't here? Like, there's a lot of ways that you can cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Like, be around truth. Be around His Word. Get in His Word. Be reminded of the truth. Be in Christian community. Pray often. Like, be in relationship with Him. Those are just a few ways to cultivate this relationship. So how do the rulers respond? I'm going to summarize kind of verses 14 through 18. So they look around and they still see this guy that's been healed and they can't deny it, right? Like, oh, uh, we would love to deny this, but we know who this guy is and he hasn't been acting like this up until today or yesterday, right? But they're going, we've got to stop this threat. We have to stop the spread of this Jesus movement. So Peter and John, we need you to not speak anymore about Jesus. We need you not to teach any more about Jesus. Kind of laughable, honestly, right? But then verses 19 and and 20, this is how Peter responds. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're like, hey, uh, guys, we respect you and all, but... It's impossible for us to not talk about Jesus. He's been that good to us. He's been that gracious and that merciful to us. We can't help but talk about Him. I know you don't want us to talk about Him, and we would love to be respectful, but it's just going to come out. That's who we are. That's what we're about. It's like you go to a restaurant and you get a refill of a, a drink, right? You go take your cup and you go put that drink up next to the machine, And it's refilling your cup, and you take the cup away. And as you take the cup away, it doesn't stop. Like, it's stuck there, right? And the drink just starts overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. But then the manager looks across the store at you, and he sees, like, drink spilling everywhere. There's this sticky mess on his restaurant. He's like, stop, stop it! And you're like, uh, I can't, I don't, uh, it's, I, that's the only, it's just going to keep overflowing because that's, that's what we got here. Obviously, the metaphor don't take that too far, right? Like, You're like, well, it's broken. That's how Jesus works. No, all right? But you get the idea that there's this overflow happening and you just can't help. I can't help but speak about what I've seen and heard Peter and John are saying. Like, Jesus is that good and I just can't help it. That's the approach to life that we're talking about this morning. Not just the one, two, threes of Christianity. Let me share my gospel track with you, all right? It's... Man, I can't help but speak about Jesus because he's that awesome. My fear is that most of us don't talk about Jesus, though, because we're not spending any time with Jesus, and no overflow exists. And so when 90% of evangelical Christians haven't shared the gospel with anybody outside of their family, my fear is that it's because you haven't spent time with Jesus and nothing Jesus is not overflowing. We come to church once a week, and that's where the refill happens. But by lunchtime, we're out of it. You're not abiding in Jesus on Sunday night and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're just going back for a a once-a-week refill. And Jesus is going, I'm the living water. Come to me, and you'll never thirst again. Come back. Come back. This is the approach of an everyday missionary's life, and it's different it starts from this great love of jesus and it overflows it's not an obligation we aren't sharing jesus we aren't serving the world around us because we have to but we're serving because of what jesus has done and it's an overflow like religious people would say oh no you have to share the gospel you have to speak of jesus but I think a servant says, I don't have to, I get to. It's a privilege. But I think in Acts 4, we actually take it a step further. Not, a, I have to. That's not the right answer. And I get to. That's okay. Like, that's a, that's a, man, this is a privilege. But what Peter and John are saying, I can't help but do this. It's not just, not I have to. Not at all. I get to. That's great. They're saying, I can't help it. That's all that I know. That's what my life's about. And it just keeps overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. So when it comes to telling people, telling my neighbor about Jesus, it just overflows out of me. When it comes to serving my coworker, oh, it just overflows out of me. Not because you have to, not because you even get to, but I can't help this. I can't help it. But some of you go, well, I'm not equipped and I'm not trained. I don't have all the information to go do that with other people. Peter and John were confused as common, uneducated men and they boldly proclaimed Jesus. I'm not saying don't try to be equipped. We have an equipping conference that you can do that and learn and grow. We do classes so that you can grow as a mature disciple, right? So that you can be sent out as an everyday missionary. But like you can't, we don't stop talking about our favorite football team just because we don't know their whole playbook, right? Oh, I don't know every one of Iowa's plays. I guess I can't talk about Iowa football today, right? No, we don't do that. And it's not like you don't, You don't go around saying, I can't talk about my kids today. I don't know every hair on their head, right? Like, no, you still talk about your kids, even though you don't know all. I mean, you know some of their, you know more than personality quirks than you want to know, right? But you still talk about your family because you love them. Even though you may not know every detail, you still talk about the things that you love. You still do it. Guys, we spend time with the things that we love. And we talk about the things we spend time on. So this is what I want you to know this morning. Boldness to speak of Jesus overflows from spending time with Jesus. Boldness to speak of Jesus overflows from spending time with Jesus. There's this uncommon boldness that happened with Peter and John that came from common fishermen because they had encountered and experienced Jesus. And that translates to every single context. Even if you don't know every single evidence for the resurrection, you can still talk about Jesus. Again, I'm not discounting those things. But don't make it an excuse. Because Peter and John said, we can't help this. And guys, this morning, like... I want you to know we want to send people all over the world to proclaim Jesus. But if an overflow isn't spilling out here, it's not going to magically happen when you get on a plane to go to another country. I want it to overflow out of you here. And then when we send you overseas, it's like, oh, this is what I do. I'm a Jesus person. I talk about Jesus, right? That's what we want to be about. That's what we want to be about. So in verses 21 through 27, I'll summarize that for you too. You have these, the rulers threaten them even more. Hey, you can't do this. But they recognize, man, we can't deny that this guy's been healed and he's doing jumping jacks around the temple courts right now. Like, we can't deny that. Some Like, God did something and all the people seem to be praising God, and that's what we want people doing. So they release Peter and John and the beggar. And they go back to their friends. And when they go back to their friends, they report on what's happened. And they realize that this is the first persecution that's ever happened in the first church. And there's opposition, but this opposition happened because it was prophesied that this was going to happen. And so they recognize that. And in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, they start to pray. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and this is what they pray in verses 29 through 31. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they're opposed. They're being persecuted. They've been arrested. Hey, don't talk about this. They go back and they pray for what? God, help us to be more bold. Because everybody needs to know about Jesus. The one that was crucified and resurrected. And what do they pray for? They pray for the Spirit to empower them. Verse 8, Peter was filled with the Spirit. Guys, we can spend a lot of time with Jesus. And if there is no power from the Holy Spirit, it's going to fall flat. To just think that I've got to manufacture this work for Jesus. I just need to go spend more time with Jesus. I'm going to tell more people about Jesus. You might do that. But if you tell more people about Jesus and you have the Spirit empowering you, man, that's going to be transformative. Not just your work to do this, but the Spirit's power to do this. That's what kind of people we want to be. People that boldly speak about Jesus and people that are fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do whatever God wants to do them. That's not on us. That's not our responsibility to change people's hearts. I don't have that ability. You don't have that ability. Holy Spirit absolutely has that ability. And that is his job. But we're going to boldly proclaim with the Holy Spirit's power. And I think of the college student that came to know Christ this past week in a kickoff event. Like they were just I mean, they were chasing Bigfoot around this week. I think like like somebody like what? They were somebody was dressed up like Sasquatch and they were running around. That's how you, I don't, I guess that's what college students do these days. I don't know. Um But a a leader was able to share the gospel with somebody. Nobody's heart is transformed just because a college student shared the gospel. A heart is transformed because the Holy Spirit worked through sharing the gospel. We want to be a people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim Jesus because we've spent a lot of time with Him and that's the least we can do. Just talk about Jesus. So maybe you need to assess your life this morning. Maybe you need to consider like where are you spending your time and i'm not here to just say like oh you need to cut out all this stuff in your life again all those things i even mentioned earlier social media news like all those things aren't inherently bad nowhere in the bible says don't re- don't look at social media but if you're just constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and all your time is just doing that or all your time is just watching a certain news channel maybe you should just say hey i'm gonna take a break from that and not just replace it with something else Like, replace it with, just read God's Word more. Spend more time praying for your neighbors. It will be amazing how many opportunities you have to talk about your neighbors when you actually pray for your neighbors. Because you got them all the time, you just don't recognize it because you haven't been praying about it. So spend time with Jesus. Assess that time. Figure out what you need to move around in your life, or maybe cut out in your life to spend more time with Jesus so it becomes an overflow. Not only spend time with Jesus, but church, we got to beg and plead for the Holy Spirit to move among us. That the Holy Spirit would empower us because we can go without the power and it's not going to matter. But plug into the power source and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. Guys, we want to we be a church where everybody says, man, those people love Jesus. Again, I don't want us to go out of here and go to our neighbors and say, let me tell you about my church. I want you to say, let me tell you about my God. Now, Veritas is a great place to learn about that God, to learn about Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. It's not about Veritas. I don't want you to go, hey, let me tell you about my connection group. Let me tell you about Jesus. And this group of people reminds me of Jesus often, and that's why I love being there. But let me tell you about Jesus. Guys, if our city, if your neighbors, if our world recognize that we've been with Jesus, That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen?